Gracious Father, we thank you for today. Father, as we open your word, speak to us. Let your words live in our minds and in our hearts that we would know you more clearly, that we would see our sinfulness and our need for you uh, more truly. Father, we thank you for the privilege to open your word and to be together this morning. Father, we pray this in the name of your son. Amen. So it has been a crazy week for the Ratliff House. Um, and usually when I preach, I don't know if you guys, you guys are familiar, because I say this like every time I preach, you guys are like, John had something happen. Uh, and it's honestly been true. I, somebody's sick, somebody, something happens like every week I preach, I feel like. Um, and maybe that's God just working in me. But this week there have been a ton of things that have happened. A lot of moving, moving parts, a lot of things have happened. Some were planned, some were not so much. Um, to, to start off, let me just give you a broad, broad scope. Uh, you know, start, start of the week, I had an uncle who passed away, uh, so we had family coming in town for that. Um, some we haven't seen in a while, some we have, but it's just good to catch up, and family, it just takes time. So we had a lot of, a lot of things moving there. Um, randomly on a day, we had both vehicles, like I got in my, my, uh, my little Volkswagen, wouldn't start, I said, well, that's weird. And then we got home, got it jumped, got home, uh, got in the van to go meet family for this thing that happened, and the van wouldn't start. And I said, okay, what are you trying to teach me, God? <laughs> uh, so had, had the van have issues, had my car have issues, so just multiple things. So you got to organize the, the working and the, the working out of parts and where to get what from where. So all those things happened. Uh, multiple birthday celebrations, some within our family, some not not within our family, but all of them had, you had to get people certain places. Uh, people were coming to our house, so lots of things happening there. Uh, that the family just were attending. Uh, had a washer quit working and leaked and went under uh, one of the walls and got a little into my bathroom, so you had that happen. Um, had an AC issue yesterday during one of the birthday parties. Uh, luckily, it's not a big thing, but it just took time. So just like all these things happening. And then you add to that, like I'm, I'm preaching this week and there are people out of town and just all these different things um, and, and I tell you this not to elicit some sort of sympathy, though if it works, I'm fine with that. It'll give you grace during, grace during this sermon. Uh, that's, not, that's not what I'm doing because I'm sure others have had much harder weeks. I don't claim supremacy in any way of the difficulty of my week because they were just things. Rather, I, I say this uh, because as this week progressed, right, as I'm preparing this sermon, I was convinced that there was some big thing God was working out, right? There had to be some big epiphany, some dawning of great significance that would one day change the world, you know, that I had to learn. Um, I was even earlier this week cracking jokes about it, uh, <laughs> like, God, God must be teaching me something. Um, but as things just got more, it seemed to be like needlessly busier and busier, I was convinced that God must be wanting me to learn something big. You know, you ever, you ever had that like moment of, <laughs> I don't know, um, conceit, like I must be very important for God to be doing something. So last night, as I finally had a moment to breathe and sit down and literally put words to the sermon, um, I was sitting in a Starbucks attempting to write the bulk of this uh, thing you're now forced to endure. Um, and it became clear as I reread the text what this 
big something was, right? It was not something new. It was not something earth-shattering or grandiose. It was a simple truth, and it was one that was staring me in my face. As I opened the words, I read the words that I had been reading over and over again throughout this week and meditating on and mulling over. It says, rather, train yourself for godliness. Paul reminds Timothy, rather, train yourself for godliness. Godliness is of some value. Or I'm sorry, godliness is of value in every way as it holds the promise for the present life and the life to come because we have our hope set on the living God. And as I I fumbled in the darkness for some grand meaning for my difficulties, the text this week literally was set before me, just as Paul has asked Timothy to set this before the believers in verse six, put these things before the brothers, right? And I sit down to try and put this together and wondering what God, grand thing God is doing, and it is a simple call to godliness, a simple reminder of day in and day out living a life that is godly and focused on him. That's the call for all believers, for all of us. Paul is talking to Timothy, encouraging a younger minister in the faith to to lead his people well, but it is true for all of us. We are called to live lives devoted to God and to walk in his ways. That's this reminder, right? This big epiphany was really just to hate John. It's the day in and day out faithfulness to God. And so as, as I study the word more and more, I see this calling to, to pastors and elders is just to remind, right? Over and over again in scripture, you see, remind the brothers of this, remind them of this, remind, remind, remind of the basic truths of scripture. Point them back to God. A constantly, constantly reminding ourselves in the church of the basics of who Christ is, what he has done, and what our lives will look like in him. And this week has been for me a sure and clear reminder of the need for godliness in my life, right? Every day to wake up saturated in scripture. Because brothers and sisters, as, as we suffer, right, as we endure things that happen as we rejoice in birthdays and new life and celebrations with family and friends, or as we celebrate and mourn the loss of loved ones, as we find peace and rejoice in God's provision and care for us, or as as we wait in longing for deliverance and for answers in every up and in every down, in the good and bad, in every moment of life, the calling remains the same, that we are called to live godly lives for him. You see, in the text this morning, we are called to train ourselves in godliness so that when the day comes to meet us with whatever it holds, we will be trained and ready to stand firm, as it says in the words of faith that we have been called to, as Paul's reminding Timothy at the end of verse six. And so with that object life lesson that God has graced me with this week, that's where, that's where I wanna dive into the text this morning and consider the value of godliness. 
So with that, let's dive into the text. And just to set the stage, if you're a visitor, you haven't been there, uh, we have, we've covered a lot, right? We're about four and a half chapters into uh, the, the text. And what you see here is Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, his younger protege, whom he left in charge of a church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And in the time since he's departed, right, you've had these false teachers who have come in and who have begun to distort and pervert the, the teachings of the gospel, and they are preaching and teaching things that are not of Christ and are not faithful and true to the gospel of Jesus. And so therefore, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to instruct him on ways to refute and to remove these false teachers from the church of God. And so like I said, a lot's been covered. It's too much to really to, to go into detail, but it, it all plays into what, what he's building on here. And so quickly what you have, um, what we've seen, little high points, and if you missed it, we have a podcast. You can go back and listen to them. Um, skip the ones that say John Mark Ratliff, but all the rest, just dive into them. Um, what you have here is Paul reminding Timothy. So it starts out with Paul reminding Timothy on the right use of the law, which these false prophets were distorting, the, the proper way to pray, which these false teachers were not doing. You see that in the beginning of chapter two. You see a discussion on the roles of, of women in church, of the qualification of, of the church offices of elder and deacon. You see this beautiful summary of the gospel at the end of chapter three in verses 14 through 16. And then last week, we saw this discussion on the goodness of what God has created, right? Specifically in, in food and in marriage and in all of creation because these false teachers are, are distorting that. And so what you have are, are these guys who are coming in and distorting and say, okay, it is, the gospel is doing these things and being this, or not doing these things, not marrying, avoiding these foods. And so they are perverting the gospel. And so what we see diving in the text this morning is Paul wanting to encourage Timothy, his fellow minister in Christ, to the calling that is before him. And it is to remind the brothers of these things. These things is all that I just said, the summation of all that he has covered. Remind the brothers of these things. If you put these things before the brothers, is what he says. It is everything that Paul has been saying. Paul says to Timothy that it is to set these things before his people, right? To set before, like, like a server, setting the table, right? Laying them before the brothers so that they can, they can eat. Um, literally translated, if you, want, if you want to look at it, to set these things before really is, is to set under, to gird them up, to place underneath. And so you have this idea of these foundational truths. And so he is saying there is, there is foundational truths that are had here, and we are to put these under. And so you can carry that on if they are to be under. Why are these to go under the, the people and they are to gird them up, right? To be, to be set down as stepping stones underneath the feet of these believers as if they were on treacherous ground where these false teachers are corrupting and distorting. And so Paul is, is reminding Timothy that the job of a good minister of the gospel, a good servant of Jesus Christ, is to place these things at the feet and under the feet of the people so that they will be able to find truth and step out of these dangerous situations that are before them. And you notice Paul's not just saying, right, this is not just a denunciation of what is wrong. This is not, let me give you three reasons why these guys are terrible pastors and preachers 
and they're wrong here, they're wrong here, they're wrong here, they're wrong here. It's not just a denunciation of what's wrong in their doctrine, but he is to set before the people and underneath the people to guide them out of those dangerous situations and areas and wrong beliefs. Um, He is to provide them a positive response to the negative things spoken, right, by these false teachers, to put them under and before the people to be the correct truth of the gospel of Christ Jesus. So many of us get so worked up uh, about what, what people are saying wrong or doing wrong. We get excited that these things are not, not in Scripture, and we complain and we bemoan and we whine for what is wrong, and we never get to the right. We never get to what is correct, what is good, and we become people of people who aren't, right? The people of aren't, and those are the people, they know what they're against. They know what they don't like. The people of aren't. And so, for, for many of us, it seems, it seemingly, it's, it's all we care about. And so there's no gospel focus, right? There's no focus on, uh, on Jesus Christ. It's only focus on how the other is wrong. But Paul is saying the good servant of Jesus Christ serves the people in his charge. A server, a, a waiter, a server can't simply come out and tell them what not to eat on the menu, right? Don't get the steak. It's a couple days past, right? It's, it's not just ser- telling them what's wrong, but he is to set before them what is good and allow them to eat so that they can be nourished and dine and enjoy their, their, their uh, meal and be filled. Paul is telling Timothy exactly that, right? That there is no better means for spiritual nourishment than for his people to continually dwell on the great truths of the faith. That is what spiritual nourishment looks like. It is that they continually dwell on these great truths of the faith. So look at verse six, right? You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Notice that he says that you have followed, right? This is not some special thing that Paul formulated out of the blue to provide for Timothy that he can do for these errant and wayward people. This is something that he has experienced, and he is continually experiencing. The word is in the present tense, that these are the things that he is following, he is doing. And so he's saying Paul or uh, Timothy has himself received the word and has himself been nourished by it and through it continually from the moment he was raised in his mother's home uh, with his grandmother and uh, mother speaking into him and also through his ongoing discipling of, uh, by Paul, right? That's, that's why this letter's here. Paul wasn't sending him off on his own, go figure it out. There's ongoing discipleship, which is literally why we have this. Paul is discipling his, his follower and in Timothy, right? And so you have this ongoing thing. And so a good servant of Christ Jesus is being nourished by the word continually and thus able to nourish others. And what a, as I sit here and prepare, I think, what a, what a thought, right, to, to be called a, a good servant of Christ Jesus. That is my hope. That's my aim is to be a good servant and to serve those um, in our charge and in my charge. 
And so we need to be, as, as pastors, men, saturated in the word, right? Um, and as an aside, you can continue to pray for that. Pray that your pastors, that we are, your pastors and elders are saturated in the word of God and in the truth found in scripture, right? That we would not be winging this on our own, making up things, but that we are saturated and, and nourished daily by the word. That it would be our foundation, right? that it would nourish us so that we would in turn have opportunity to do what we are called to do, which is to remind and encourage you with the same scripture that we ourselves have been nourished. And so you have this call for, for, for nourishment and to be set before and underneath the people, the word of God and sound doctrine, good doctrine. And so we read on in verse seven and eight. He contrasts this, this good doctrine and teaching that Timothy has received and should impart to the church with the false doctrines of these false teachers. And as we have said before, these men are teaching things that do not accord with the gospel of Christ Jesus. And so he says in 7, 8, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. You see, these, these false teachers have put these undue requirements on the people of God. They've been, in the last section, they're talking about what foods they can eat, what foods are good and what foods aren't who they can marry, who they can't, and that they should remain unmarried, and putting all these restrictions on the people of God, not from the word of God. And so Paul is telling Timothy, teach these good things that I have written to you about, and in turn have nothing to do with these irreverent silly myths. Silly myths, literally, that's um, the, the translation, but if you look at it literally, it's old wives' tales. That's what it says there. Have nothing to do with these silly myths or old wives' tales. These are, are what consume the minds, what he is saying, of those who have nothing to do, nothing better to do. They are, uh, these are men who are teachers that do not care for the truth, only what tickles the ear and entertains. And they set up for themselves a religion unto themselves. These teachers are wholly and completely lacking anything of substance is what he is saying here. These are silly myths. This idea of irreverent, right? That seems like an out-of-date word, but what it's literally mean is he's saying these false teachers have, have nothing that remains sacred. Literally, irreverent means permitted to be trodden on, right? You don't value something that much if you're okay to walk on it, right? Like if it's a value, like pay, we were sorting through pictures with, with family, reminiscing about old times on Wednesday. Pictures fell to the floor. It was, hey, don't, don't step on those. These, these have significance and have value. But a reverend, what he's saying here about these, these doctrines of these false teachers are they have no value. They are permitted to be trodden on. I think that's, that's a remarkable way to put this. You can, uh, Paul is telling them that these false teachers have nothing that remains sacred. And all of it to them can be profaned and walked over. Timothy is, and we are in turn, 
Paul is saying, to have nothing to do with them. If the word of God and doctrine of the apostles are, are nourishing to the soul, right? If good, sound doctrine and the word of Jesus Christ is nourishing to our soul, then he is saying that these silly, irreverent myths of these false teachers are junk food, right? Or worse yet, straight up poison. These are not nourishing to the soul. So instead, he's saying, instead of focusing on these silly myths, he says in verse 8 for Timothy, to train yourself in godliness. And Paul picks up this metaphor of athletic exercise, right? Train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. You know, Timothy, a young man, right, knew well the value and importance of exercise and knew that training was essential for those who, who competed in the games in, in the Greco-Roman world games, especially, I mean, he was on uh, near Greece, right? He was in the, the western edge of Turkey on the sea between uh, Turkey and Greece. He was there in the midst of all of this competition, this spirit of, of exercise and training and energy and competition, right? We have the Olympics and, you know, there's, there's some overlap there, um, but these... These, this idea uh, would not be unfamiliar to Timothy. He knew well the importance of exercise and what it meant for training to be essential for those who compete in games and events that were so popular across the Roman world at the time. Paul is saying the same, the same application and care that is to be applied to physical training and exercise should be applied to godliness. In fact, he clarifies, right, and he says uh, that godliness is of better value because not only does it address the present situation, but it addresses the life to come. And so he's saying bodily training and exercises is useful and has value, and there is a time and a place we'll, we'll we can discuss that. And he says it has some value, but it is limited in comparison to the spiritual training in godliness that you were called to. And this should be a cautionary reminder, right? As we, as we look at the world that is so full of an appetite of, of being fit, right? And it is a good thing to be fit. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I want to remind you of is what Paul is saying here. A fit, a fit body that houses a dead soul is not something that should be envied. And so, and so Paul is saying, yes, bodily training is of some value, but godliness of, of value in, in every way. It has its limits in bodily value, or in bodily training. But Paul is concerned, not that Timothy was going to be some gym rat, right? That he was, he was making the point that the same approach for athletic training should be applied to godliness, and so what we have seeing here, right, is these two running themes, this idea of, of nourishment, disciplined eating, consuming nourishing foods, and disciplined exercise, which is essential for bodily health, have, have application, right? Both of those things are essential for bodily health, but they have application in Christian discipleship and discipline. We are to be nourished with the word of faith and the words of God. And we are to be trained in godliness. The word godliness or godly here 
as I was studying, it, it appears 15 times in the New Testament. 15 times we see the word godly or godliness that's used here, 15 times. 13 of which appear in these pastoral epistles to Timothy and to Titus. Nine of them appear in this book to, to Timothy. Clearly, Paul wants us and is saying something very clear to Timothy about godliness. The word in Greek conveys this idea of reverence for God. Godliness is, is practical awareness of God in every aspect of life. The Latin phrase for this uh, that the, the uh, reformed world uses is this idea of quorum deo, before the face of God. Before the face of God, it is saying that we are to live our lives in such a way as we are always and ever before the face of God, in plain view of God. John Piper writes that godliness means a love for the things of God and a walk in the ways of God. A love for the things of God and to walk in the ways of God. So this idea of to be exercising yourself unto godliness or to train yourselves in godliness, as the ESV says it, is not passive. You don't get fit by thinking about the gym. I've tried. <laughs> Fat joke. Um, you don't get, you don't get uh, fit by thinking about it, right? It is exercising ourselves unto godliness is not passive. It is, it is active. It is one way to, it is one thing to know the ways of God and quite another to walk in the ways of God. This is not a hands-off, Jesus-take-the-wheel approach. This is not let go and let God, right? This is Paul advocating for exactly the opposite, strenuous activity. We are to exercise and train ourselves in godliness. Train ourselves to live in a way that we love the things of God and walk in the ways of God. Train ourselves for godliness. So what does this godly training look like? How are we to train ourselves unto godliness, exercise ourselves unto godliness? It says this, we are to exercise and train in the same way we are to be nourished, right? We are to be nourished by the word of God and we are to be trained by continually, daily meditating on the word of God. You thought it would be something more grandiose, right? But it's simple. It's the daily rhythm. We are nourished by the word of God and we are trained for godliness in the daily meditation and reading of God's word and then actively applying it to our lives. Where scripture says we are to do Paul is, is telling Timothy, remember, remind them what, what Scripture says and have them. Seek it and do it. The words of Christ Jesus and the apostles are how we are to be nourished. You see, in contrast to these silly myths, right, 
of these false prophets, we are to train ourselves in, not in the, the, the aimless, sputtering mutterings of these false teachers, but in the most godly word, the very word of God. We are to train ourselves in God's word. We are to do as the word of God asks us, which is to meditate on his word day and night and let it stir us into action. It seems so simple, yet this is the calling, to, to open the word of God and be nourished by it, to meditate on it and apply it to our lives. So if we read, first, or if we read Colossians 3, right? Where it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is who, who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And so as we read, as we meditate on the word of God, we are to apply it to our lives. We are to do just that. We are to take every opportunity to seek the things above and to meditate on scripture and to chew on it. We are to do the same way as we condition our bodies for the gym, right? In the gym, rep after rep, it is, it is moving the ball a little at a time, we are continually to strive to put to death the sin that is in us by meditating on the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ found in the scripture. And so you cannot have this separation, brothers and sisters, of, of knowledge of doctrine and life in training in godliness and the fact that you are sanctified daily in it. R.C. Sproul warns about this tragic disassociation of sound doctrine and godly living. He says we must reject the false dichotomy between doctrine and life. We can have sound doctrine without sanctified life. That is possible, but it is extremely difficult to progress in sanctification without sound doctrine, without the good doctrine of Christ. You see, sound doctrine is not sufficient, a sufficient enough condition to produce sound godly life. It does not yield sanctification automatically. Sound doctrine is necessary uh, for sanctification. It is a vital prerequisite. It is like oxygen and fire. The mere presence of oxygen does not guarantee a fire, but you cannot have fire without it. So we are called to train ourselves godliness. If you look down at the end of verse 8, it says, training in godliness, of training in godliness, it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. We are called to train in godliness because it prepares us for eternity. We are trained, we are to train in this way because we have our hope set on the living God who is author and giver of this life and the life to come. 
And you, you see this section at the very end, right, where it says, uh, for this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. We are to toil and strive daily because we have our hope set on the living God. In that last section, just in case when you get to it, you get slightly confused, who is a savior for all people, especially those who believe, read that more directly as a, a clarification, right? He is the savior for all people. That is, in particular, that is those who believe. And so it is a clarifying statement at the end. I know those can be confusing. We can spend our whole time wondering about that and not thinking about the call to, to godliness in our lives. But he is saying it is for this end that we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. And so as we train, um, we train so that when, when the storm comes, right? When weeks like mine have happened or weeks far worse, or weeks far better. When those moments come, we train so that we can weather it knowing the truth and trusting in the, the love of God above. It's so that when joy comes, we can celebrate the giver of those give good, good gifts because we know that God desires us and desires to give us good things. We, we consume the word of God and train ourselves in godliness so in those moments we can know that God is near to the brokenhearted, right? That he loves a broken and contrite heart. So those moments of pride and say, God, I can do this on my own. We know that God desires brokenhearted repentance and not pride saying, God, I got this. And so the best way for us to, to refute the false teachers and false doctrines is to study, to know, and to train ourselves in godliness. We as pastors are to train ourselves so that we can then, with the, the, the word that we have been nourished, nourish you and, you and encourage you to turn to Scripture and be nourished by it. So as I reflect upon this week and think about all the things that have happened, it is a reflection on the fact that in all things, in good and bad, in celebration and heartache, we are to live our lives before the face of God. That's the call on the Christian's life, to train yourself in godliness. Let's pray. Gracious Father, God of comfort and love, we thank you for your faithfulness that while we were far off and dead in trespasses and sin, you loved us, sent your Son in grace to die on our behalf, the death that we deserved. And through him we have been reconciled to you. Father, I pray that the men and women in here who hold Christ as their Savior and you as their Lord would live each day as if they were before your face. That they would daily take up the word that you have given 
seek nourishment through it, find life in it, and live not because of the words, but because of the one who spoke them. Father, let us be diligent in exercising ourselves unto godliness. Where we spend time in training, whether for, for our jobs or for physical activity, that the effort that we put into training for other things would find its way into our hearts, that we would train ourselves each day with the same commitment and fervor unto godliness. Father, for those in here that do not know you, that are still wandering in the dark and groping for things to find a way, Father, let them see the truth found in your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.